Broadcasting from the studios of Business Radio X, it's time for E-Commerce Connector. This show is brought to you by Polyglot Labs, driving growth and innovation in the e-commerce world. Now, here's your host, Garrett Massey. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, my name is Garrett Massey. I'm the host of E-Commerce Connector, and welcome to our podcast. This is our uh first round of our podcast and today I have Mr. Bobby Kersher on with me. He is the founder and CEO of Papaya Search, a search engine marketing company that he has developed over the past several years. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Absolutely. Would love to hear a little bit of an intro from you and share with the folks what it is you guys do at Papaya Search. Yeah, Papaya Search is a search marketing company. We help businesses, nonprofits, organizations find sales leads through search using holistic methods that are effective and last a long time. Yeah. And actually, we just celebrated 19 years as of as of last Friday, which uh actually based on the recording, it would it's going to be, it was July 14th is when we celebrated. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. We were doing a little bit of an origin story chat before we we kicked this off. I think you found an email. What year did you and I meet? It was. It was, it was 2016. So it was March of 2016. Okay. And that's when we, we were first introduced by our mutual client. Right. And, yeah. It's hard right to believe it was that long ago. Yes, yes. One of the one of the things you mentioned in your intro just now was the longevity, the holistic approach, the idea of on search as a long term strategy. I know when years ago, and even a few years ago, when we first met, the tactics for search engine optimization and even paid search optimization were sketchy to say the least. So if I'm not mistaken, our initial engagement together was a byproduct of some folks doing some really sketchy stuff. How, what tactics have you employed over the past almost 20 years to ensure that websites are ranked properly, but not penalized by updates like Panda back in the day and modern updates? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with bringing the knowledge and expertise of the company or of the organization and bringing it to the web. When we started Papaya, it was, um, we were working with an e-commerce client and this e-commerce store had people that you could call uh, and they were all based in Atlanta. And you would call and you can ask for specific information about a pot or a pan or a knife and this is all like really high-end stuff. So stuff you would find in Williams-Sonoma. Mm-hmm. And um, they can answer just about any question. They grab a, a, a pan from the warehouse and, and measure it and or even just take a look at it and, and describe it in detail. So what we started to do was take that knowledge that the customer service team had of these products and started putting it on the website um, in product descriptions and, and, and even starting a blog. and these this is all like experience with the product or at least understand or a deep understanding of the product and bringing that information to the web so anybody searching 
for answers to these questions or trying to understand these products would understand it. A lot of the holistic approach is about taking that expertise and putting that out into the web. And then that way you attract attention. It's high quality content that Google likes. It's content that it's clearly written by somebody who had experience with the product. And then that helps drive rankings and traffic and hopefully sales and leads. And yeah, so that's what we see is a holistic approach that works really well. Technical SEO is helpful too, but really it is about content and Google understanding content on the website. Sure. And Google's understanding of content that's put out there has evolved over the years. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So like back in time, you would, a lot of, or an approach at SEO is like thinking about keyword density and just stuffing up keywords and even putting different kinds of spelling of words and repeating the same thing. Google now has a deeper understanding. It knows the difference between like lawyer and attorney, right? It knows that, or it knows that they're very similar, I should say, not that they're that different. Uh, it understands frying pan and skillet are very similar. If you're searching for those things, it knows that if you're searching for an attorney, you're likely searching for a lawyer, right? If you're looking for a skillet, you're probably looking for a fry pan. As time progresses, Google understands the nuance of language and and that some words may mean the same thing. So you don't have to create pages that have every permutation of a word or an item or an object. Google has much more of a deeper understanding of those things. Right on. In terms of content generation, what changes or what influences have you seen from AI in in the industry? Yeah, that's seems that's the talk of, of 2023, right? Especially with open AI releasing G, chat GBT in December of last year. A lot of people are using it to answer questions, right? And also to create content. And we're finding that generative AI can help with generating content with information that you can provide it. But sometimes if you're asking it for information or to basically create something out of, out of just a, a basic question, sometimes it gets the information correct, but there are times that it gets the information wrong and it creates just creates a story just for the sake of it. Th- those are called hallucinations. Um, <laughs> And, and the, these hallucinations are basically, it's, because it's generative AI and it's using a large language model and it's like just using predictive text to create uh, or to write the next word of the sentence, it's just trying to create something that sounds good. But a, a lot of times it gets things wrong, especially factual information uh, or historical information. It might get some details incorrect. So it can be a little dangerous to just use it to create content and then just use the content that it provides. A lot of times you have to look at the content and make sure it's correct, make sure the information is correct. But it is a way to get a baseline to get started and to speed up the first draft process. At least that's the way I'm seeing it today. Um, who, Who knows, as this technology evolves, it might get smarter, it might get better at, 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 at providing correct information, but I don't know if we're quite there yet. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, in terms of SEO and paid search for folks that may not be super familiar with the differences between the two, do you mind doing a kind of high level on those? 
Sure. Yeah. Google does both. If we're talking specifically about Google, it does the search results are composed of several components, and, and one of those is advertising or the ads that appear at the top of the, of the search results. And usually they appear at the top. And if you're looking at keyword-based ads, uh, those are like the little boxes of ads. And usually there's a little small bit of text that says ad next to the listing. Um, also, they, you can run shopping ads. So if you're in e-commerce and you have a, a catalog of products, you can upload your feed to Google ads and Google will serve those, those product links as ads uh, that you can pay for that traffic. And you'll see those in the search results, but also you'll see them in images, image search results too. Below that is the, what we call organic listings. Those are what Google's, those come from Google's index where it crawls the web and crawls pages and determines based on search queries, what is, uh, what are the pages that are most relevant to that search query? Um, and for entry in those, you have to have a website that has content and has uh, a website that can be crawled by the search engines. Those are considered organic and it looks at content on the page. It looks at various factors but it looks at content on the page. It looks at links pointing to the sites. It looks at internal linking architecture. It looks at the quality of the content on the page. Is it able to crawl the content on the page? So it looks at a, a variety of, of factors in order to rank those. Uh, the paid, the Google's paid advertising, which is Google ads, that's all appears above, usually above organic. Uh, and then sometimes it appears under the organic listings as well. Uh, if you pay for, you can pay to get into Google by buying advertising, um, or you can create some content for your website and wait for Google to crawl it and, and index it. Um, I, I'm assuming if you're an e-commerce site, you probably already have your pages being indexed, or at least hopefully you're working with somebody who can help you get your products, product pages in Google's index. And there's various ways you can do that by registering your website in Google Search Console and submitting your sitemap so that Google knows fairly quickly that your website exists and that these pages are important to you. Yeah, so that's a little bit on the differences between between the two. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. And what I've always understood, and, and please correct me if I'm mistaken, but if folks are launching a new enterprise, launching a new e-commerce site, for example, or the organic side of things is more of a long-term approach, the SEO mm -hmm. side of things, whereas paid ads and so forth, they're both a quick, quicker pay-to-play kind of deal. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. You can fairly quickly get your products into on Google using Google ads. If you have a site with images and product information and have the ability to generate a product feed to Google, you could submit that using Google ads and, and very quickly get your, get some, start to get some traffic to those pages, but they do require that you provide quite a bit of product information in order to make that happen in your feed. But you can also buy keywords. You can um, bid on keywords and have that traffic come to your site while you wait for Google to index your Google, uh, like Google bot, which is their, their web crawler uh, to crawl your pages. Yeah. So then as you're building out your site and building out your, your content, then you can use that to drive more of the organic and, 
If you're brand new, then doing, uh, as I suggested, going to Search Console, registering your, your website through Google Search Console, which is free, and submitting your sitemap, you can have Google crawl your pages a little more quickly, at least understand that you have these pages that you want Google to crawl. Yeah. Cool. We've, it's our native tongue at this point to, to say I'm Googling something, right? So <laughs> you think yeah. of Google, say that three times fast. Uh, what are, what about some of the other options as far as search engines go or Facebook ads, for example, where, yeah. what industries do those tend to play best with, or is, is there a rule of thumb? Hey, I'm in this industry. I should look for this type of platform or is it varied? Yeah, it ver- it varies. Obviously the number two search engine, I should say for, if you're doing contextual searching, is Bing, is Microsoft's search engine, which is Bing. And Bing got a lot of attention because of their integration with ChatGPT using Bing's. Bing has their own chatbot that uses OpenAI's ChatGPT4 as part of the search results. So it's getting a little more attention. It it really depends on the vertical. We've seen we've seen some industries where Bing searches are like 10% of their traffic, of their search traffic. It's still small, but that's on the higher side of what we've seen. And but it, it really depends on the vertical. If your client base is using tends to be on Microsoft products, that means they're using Windows, they're using Office a lot, or maybe they're using Outlook for their email. If they're very Microsoft based, you might find that your visitors may more often than not come to you from Bing. And that's based on Office really making it a little more difficult for you to switch browsers to a like to a Chrome where Google search engine is the default to like Edge, which is going to use Bing by default. Depending on your industry, depending on your target customer, you, you might find that they may be searching using Bing more often. And also the other thing too, if we're finding that like one of our clients is using, has a, a significant percentage of traffic coming from Bing, there's also an opportunity to advertise on Bing as well, because Bing does have their product that competes with Google ads and you can pay for traffic on Bing. And, and it's not as expensive because it's not as competitive and there's not as much traffic, but you can still put your mark in that market if you will, based on that. Also in the e-commerce space, I do see, depending on the products, because I do shop online, I see lots of products on my Instagram feed. So if I'm looking at a, some, a pair of shoes or maybe some clothing, especially yeah, anything clothing related, you tend to see them on social media, especially on Instagram. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that products are visual, right? Especially fashion, you get a nice image appear in your feed and they could be tempting to go back uh, to visit the site and make a purchase. And especially if your shopping experience is very easy, then you're going to find it easy to buy from a mobile device. So say I'm doing research on my desktop and all of a sudden I'm seeing ads on my phone, that kind of thing. Yeah. uh, I see that as a market, depending on what your, the type of products, especially visual product, you'll be, I feel like social media is a good avenue for getting attention. Absolutely. 
So I think you were touching on the concept of omni-channel marketing, right? So you're you're looking at your phone and then you're over here on your computer. And I know at least years ago, folks would do research on a phone, but actually buy from a computer kind of deal. Is that still a thing? It's how, how could somebody dip their toes into getting their products or services displayed across all of these platforms in a contiguous kind of way? Yeah. So... It's you can so it's been affected quite a bit from ATT, which is Google or sorry, it's Apple's. Apple is now making people opt into being tracked, and that's affected. That had effect had an effect on doing some omni-channel work. You're not as easily cookied on your phone as you used to be. It's a little out of my scope, but my understanding is that Meta has figured out a way around it, or figured out some ways around it. But it's a little out of my wheelhouse. But there are ways you can still do omni-channel and target um, those on between desktop and mobile. Because I still see ads for some of the sites that I visit. It may have trouble determining if I've already made a purchase. I've noticed that quite a bit. But but I have also seen visits to e-commerce sites. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing the ads on my phone, on my feed even in TikTok and, and, and Insta, even though I visited from a desktop. There's ways around it. It's the uh, brain implants, right? <laughs> the brain implants are listening. No, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So for years, Google Analytics has been the, the, the source for all website traffic information, reporting, and, and so forth. Is that still accurate? Have there been any uh, systems that have come into the equation that have challenged that? Is it Are we still stuck with, again, Google for everything? Funny you mention that because Google Analytics, instead of being source, it's become like more of a sore because of... It's because of Google Analytics 4, which two years ago, they announced that Google Analytics 4 was going to replace Google Analytics Universal Analytics. And Google Analytics Universal Analytics is, has been around for uh, decades and lived at another life as Urchin before Google acquired Urchin back, I want to say, maybe in 2005, 2006. It's basically been the same technology all of these years, and now they've transitioned everyone to Google Analytics 4. And the big change was not just a, a new user interface, which was is not as robust as Universal Analytics, but also your data does not migrate. So you're starting with a fresh set of data under Google Analytics 4. So... It's making it difficult to see any kind of legacy data that you may have had or that you have for, for your website over the years. One of the fun things that we could do with our clients' data was like be able to go back in time and find some special events, especially when looking at Google traffic. I want to see how big algorithmic change could have made an impact when there was over time. And it's difficult. It's going to be difficult to do that now. Especially now that if you, if you didn't start tracking data when they announced Google Analytics 4, then you're missing a whole block or a year or two of data that you're not going to be able to access. And Google has not yet an announced when you're not going to be able to access Universal Analytics. But as of July 1st this year, 
Google Universal Analytics no longer is collecting data. So that has opened up the opportunity for alternatives to tracking website visits. So a lot of people have started using Fathom Analytics, which is more, I would say, it is um, not as cookie heavy. And I don't know if I'm describing that correctly, but it is more privacy focused, I should say. Um, It's still tracking activity on your website, but it's more privacy focused. I have not used it, um, but I know uh, they've been around for a few years and I know quite a few people are moving to that. Um, Also, Adobe has their own uh, analytics product uh, that they've had for years. So uh, you see that more probably at at enterprise level. Um, So this new transition to GA4 has opened up an opportunity to, to, to say, all right, maybe it's not Google. Maybe we don't need to use Google to track data. We still do with our clients. We still use um, Google Analytics 4, but it's definitely not as easy to use and not as nice. So we've actually been using other tools to pull data from Analytics 4 and other sources to help create our client reports. Got it. I, I actually pulled up the uh, Fathom Analytics uh, when you mentioned that. And it literally says the Google Analytics alternative without compromise. So, there you go. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very aggressively attacking big Google. Yeah, this transition is definitely, it's been a pain for people because it's not as easy to pull the data out of GA4 like you could in Universal Analytics. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Cool. So there are a number of tools that exist for implementing the technical SEO side of things on websites. Things like Yoast for WordPress, and I'm sure other platforms have similar similar tools. What have been your experiences with those those tools? How much can folks do on their own and how much are folks needing to employ Papaya for, for actually the implementation of that stuff? Yeah. So there, there are quite a few tools out there that are able to crawl the website and give you like a report on what's going on. And we use several. SEMrush is a, a, a full suite of SEO and uh, digital and search marketing tools um, that will run an audit on your site. We also use Screaming Frog quite a bit. It's one of our favorite tools. It's it, it runs the crawl from your desktop. It's also a good way for I, I, I recommend also for just technical teams if you're in charge of any website. It's a good way to find out if there's something going something wrong with the website. Sitebulb is another good tool that we use and we 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 it, that creates really nice looking reports but we also use like a checklist because sometimes what we do is we'll just go through the site and try to find try to find some issues um because there's some things that these crawlers just do not catch right they may not catch like users they're not going to catch user experience right if your colors are off or if your buttons are too small, um, a lot of these tools aren't going to capture those things. And user experience is like G- Google does consider that as a, a ranking factor. If, it, if somebody's have a bad experience on a website or if there's a ton of pop-ups, 
covering content, then that becomes, that could inhibit your SEO growth. But uh, a lot of times we're, we're going through a checklist and we're just trying to find things that maybe these audits that are nice to find issues may not, may not be catching everything that may be going wrong with the website. But a, a lot of these SEO tools like SEMrush, Ahrefs also has a site auditor. Uh, a lot of these tools now have these capabilities, but it, it, it doesn't resolve maybe some of the issues that you might see as you go through the site as a, as somebody who's visiting the website as a, as like a potential customer. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. I know a a pain that we have experienced over the past several years, or our clients have rather, has been ADA compliance, helping folks with disabilities access a website. Is do you feel mm-hmm. there's an overlap between what Google is wanting from an organic standpoint as, as with ADA compliance? As you mentioned, user experience and so forth. Have you seen any kind of like direct correlations between those? A lot of times good SEO is means having a, an accessible website. Google can work with a site as because it does crawl the pages as a user. So it, it will figure out things as a as Googlebot visits a page. But we talk about hierarchy of H1 tags, for instance, and making sure that you have one H1 on the page and that then it's followed by H2s for your headings and H3s not being willy-nilly about all the different heading tags makes for a more accessible website, but also makes for better SEO. Also like having all the correct alt text for images, very much an accessibility factor and not so much a, it's accessibility factor, but also helps with SEO, even though it's probably pretty minimal at best. So a lot of good, if you're good about your accessibility on your site, it should as a result help your like technical SEO. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I know we're uh, reaching the end of our time together, so I really appreciate it. Um, is there one particular client situation example that you can share with us, either on the paid, the organic side, or both, that kind of dig in a little bit about how you, you really helped them achieve whatever their goals were? Sure. Yeah. So one of our favorite projects was we were working with a SaaS company and working with their marketing team. And we tend to work with marketing teams that may just want to fill in the gaps. They may not know, they know enough about SEO to be dangerous, but maybe don't know the best ways to implement it on their website. So we worked with them in auditing their their website as they transitioned it to a new totally new design. And we made sure that all the links transitioned to the new pages so that they didn't lose anything from the pages that were currently ranking well. And then when we dug into their content, we looked at blog posts that maybe were ranking on page two and page three and looked at the keywords that they were ranking for and then decided that we would refresh some of this content so it made more sense maybe thinking about topics that related to the content um, that help help answer some questions. And then we saw a lift of that content. So those blog posts started to get some higher rankings because we added more meat on the bone, if you will. And then we started to develop a information repository, like a glossary. So we started taking advantage of the fact that they were ranking okay in their space 
And once we started to build their glossary and then fleshed out these pages and take into consideration uh, all the opportunities for those pages to look better in the search results, we started to see um, these pages appear as featured snippets, which takes up more real estate on the page. We also saw things like some FAQ schema that we added. This is mar extra markup that we add to the page that adds context to some of the content on the page. We started to see FAQ question and answer in the search results for their listing. And they started, more of these pages started to appear on the first page. So this ended up getting them a lot of traffic. Now, a lot of this traffic was top of funnel, but it did help drive some demo requests for their software. And again, it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about them being the authority in the space and bringing that to the website itself by creating high quality content, taking into consideration what people are searching for and keeping that content focused and, and great. And everybody was firing on all cylinders. It was one of those instances where there were people on the team that were, were able to bring out, con create content since they were the subject matter experts to bring that content with our content briefs that we would provide. So it all worked out really great. Everybody was really happy. And, and yeah, it was like one of the, one of those situations where everybody was contributing at the right time and we were just making things happen very quickly. So that's a, a lot of it helps when the team is engaged, when the client is engaged and um, understands what we're trying to do and, uh, and is willing to provide the things that we need to be successful. Yeah. That's one of my favorite experiences of doing this. This is why I love doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. An engaged client uh, that is willing to put forth the effort to develop content that's actually answering the questions that people are asking on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a recipe for success. I dig it. Bobby, if, if folks want to get in touch with you, give a quick shout out to all the social handles, website, Email, sure. Phone, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we a QR code or whatever. I can QR yes. code into Dots, the, Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Come to papayasearch.com. That's where you can find the Papaya Search team. I'm Bobby Kircher on pretty much every social media platform that's out there, even the new ones that are coming out. Yeah. That's where you can find me. And yeah, visit papayasearch.com and we'd be happy to talk to you. Groovy, groovy. Yeah. Cool, man. Bobby, I really appreciate your time. Guys, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us Garrett. today. Garrett Massey, the host of E-Commerce Connector. I uh, really appreciate everyone listening to this first episode and look forward to developing some more cool content to make sure that folks that are involved in e-commerce have, have a good resource to tap for all sorts of things. Bobby, again, thank you so much for the SEO and paid search insight today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on e-commerce connector. This show is brought to you by polyglot labs, a web and software development firm, which provides digital solutions to drive growth for e-commerce innovators. For more information, go to polyglotlabs.com.